0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are- No.
2: Harvey blew into Houston with a ferocious amount of rain. More than three feet. They say there's eight feet of water on the main streets in downtown Houston. People are being swept away. They're dying. The sheriff is very concerned about The number of bodies they're going to have to recover. Indiscriminate. A mother and several children riding in the van. The dad got out. He told the children to go out the back door. But before they could get back and open that door, the floodwaters encompassed them and the whole family perished. What a tragedy. We look at this and our hearts tremble. What if that were my city? The governor said, evacuate, leave. The mayor said, that's just fake news. We don't need to have anybody evacuate. There are too many people in town to evacuate anyway. Just hunker down and stay where you're at. And then the pictures come with a nursing home with people in wheelchairs sitting in waist deep water waiting for the fire department to get to them. Pictures of little boys and girls with mom sleeping on the roof. The snakes and the alligators coming to get to safety also at the homes. What a desperate situation! People are dying today because they did not evacuate. I have with me in the studio today, Alexandra. My fiancé, Alexandra. Do you see any biblical application of this hurricane?
3: Well. Holy- In the Bible, we often see that God's judgment is referred to as a flood. And that was the first judgment on Noah. Noah's generation was by a flood. So what I think is particularly compelling is that if you think about a month ago, none of these people in Houston saw this flood coming. They had all their plans laid out. And then, you know, within a matter of days... Suddenly, their whole world is turned upside down.
2: Tragedy came. And they couldn't dodge it. Reality is not shaped by what we think. Reality is shaped by what is true. The judgment of God comes like a flood. First, All of the roads were blocked around Houston by floodwaters. And when those roads closed down, it was too late for them to leave. But they had plenty of time to leave. I watched pictures of new Mercedes, $50,000 pickups, Audis, BMWs. All kinds of cars, flooded. Why didn't they get in their car and drive to safety? Well, they never imagined that this was going to happen. They couldn't believe the weather forecaster. He told them 25 to 40 inches of rain will fall. Well, now it's more than 40 inches. Now they're saying it may go to 60 inches, levees are breaking, water is overflowing reservoirs, it is a crisis beyond imagination, and people are dying, their homes are being destroyed, their futures are being destroyed. I come to you today with Alexandra with a very sober message. I want to be very plain with you today. I've had a bit of a difficulty knowing who should I talk to on this radio broadcast because there are several classes of people who are listening. There are some who are true believers in Jesus, who have repented of all of their sin and who are walking absolutely clean before the Lord. I praise God for each one of you. I earnestly, we earnestly desire your prayers and your support. For we know that this work on the broadcast cannot go forward without your love, your prayers, and your financial support. so in reality there is a small number who are utterly sold out to Jesus and we know this and many of you you've made that decision listening to this broadcast but then there's a much much larger and probably majority of you who are hearing the word of God spoken But because of your background, because of your walking in the world. Well, let me read something for you. A a listener, a supporter of this radio broadcast wrote to me. Hi, Pastor Ray. You need to tell us how to pray. You need to give us specific instruction on what to pray for. I'm praying for God to raise up an army of intercessors, but we don't know how to frame it. We don't know what to cry out for specifically with respect to revival. As I prayed about that question, I want to read the response I sent back. I've spent much time praying about your question. The boundary between the church and the world has become blurred to a point of no distinction. We have believed a person can grow out of their sin. We cannot effectively pray for the lost unless we see and know that they are hell-bound and truly lost and without hope. We have no agony of soul for a person who just needs information and a little love. So I guess, Alexandra, let's come back to you. Do you believe we can grow out of our sin?
3: Absolutely not. What do you mean? There's the biblical precedent, if you look at the examples of Acts, you always see that conversion is an immediate change in a person. So... The thing is that sin is a state of rebellion. And so you can't be in a state of rebellion and in a state of service to God at the same time. You're either rebelling against God or you're submitted to God.
2: What do you think of this distinction between the church and the world?
3: Could you explain that question a little more?
2: Well, from what I'm seeing, the flood of wickedness of the world Has come into the church. You don't see that?
3: I do see that, yes.
2: So how do we deal with that?
3: Well, I think that we need to go back to... This wasn't that long ago that we see, even in the United States, that there was this distinction maintained. Between the church and the world. So, I mean, churches still retain this to some extent with church membership. But, you know, I've been in churches with church membership where you just go through a class and then once you're in, you're in. And that's it. And then the bar has been so far lowered that we don't really practically believe that we can live without sin. And so there's not a noticeable difference between the church and the world.
2: And so we've honestly come to a place in the church today where you, who are the vast majority of people, can continue to walk in rebellion and sin against God and convince yourself that all you need is the unconditional love of God but what you don't know is that the judgment of God is coming like a flood and you are going to be judged
3: well like you talked about yesterday there's a there's a translation that happens where we go from being in the kingdom of darkness in as in our sin to being changed and then translated to the kingdom of light and so the bible and god they there is god sees a very clear distinction between the two and that's why when we read the bible there's always a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked between light and between darkness between those who are in christ i think it says in first john it says we are of god and we know the whole world lieth in wickedness So the problem is that we haven't really believed this, and we know that we haven't believed it because we haven't been living as if it's true. So we've, you know, we've said, well, I can't judge somebody else's salvation, but that's not true. I mean, Jesus said that all men would know that we were his disciples by whether or not we loved one another. And then there's biblical tests laid out in 1 John of how to distinguish whether you are in Christ or whether you are in the world. And so it's really just a question of actually realigning our worldview to be how God views it and then walking that out.
2: So the worldview that we're struggling with here is somehow we've convinced ourselves and we've lowered the standard of righteousness so far down that everyone is included in the kingdom of heaven even though you're walking in total wickedness. And somehow we're going to have to address this and begin to recognize in our own life, are we walking truly in Jesus Christ or have we convinced ourselves that we simply need to be improved a little, that God loves us unconditionally and we simply need to have some improvement in the way we live. And so we're working hard on getting that improvement, going to classes, taking seminars, thinking about, okay, how do I strategize the next step of my life? It doesn't work.
3: So what I have found helpful in practically walking the out is, first of all, just actually acknowledging my own guilt and then getting clean with Jesus. And then pray when when we pray for others to just actually acknowledge what is their guilt as we pray for them. And then as we think about that, we really consider their situation and we see more and more the danger that they're in because we realize that the whole influence of the person's life is against Jesus and that they're just aggravating their guilt every day that they don't repent. And then we start to get some feeling about it, which enables us to really pray in a way with feeling.
2: Okay, and I'd like to speak specifically now to each of you who you know you're walking in sin. I want you to know what this radio broadcast is about. And I want you to know what the National Prayer Chapel is about. Number one, it is speaking the plain word of God, the fundamental word of the living God. Secondly, it is a call for every person walking in sin to repent for that sin. And when you repent, we literally mean, and the Bible means, That you confess specifically what your sin is, and you turn from it. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you turn from that sin, and you no longer walk in it.
3: And you intend to never sin again.
2: You intend to never sin again because you see the absolute evil of it. You see the way it grieves the heart of God. You see how it brings you into total darkness and destruction. And you say, I don't want to live like this anymore. And you begin to cry out to God for full deliverance. You get on your face before God and you begin to cry out to God for deliverance. Now, let's be very practical. A man is in a relationship with a woman and they're fornicating he knows it's wrong she knows it's wrong what are they going to do well the first step is you repent and you confess to God that what you're doing is absolutely wrong now why should you do that because the judgment of God is going to come and you're not going to know when that judgment is going to hit you and the judgment of God when it comes will sweep away to hell those who are walking in that rebellion and sin against the Lord no one who is walking in that sin will be able to be saved. So you're not going to grow out of committing fornication. You're not going to grow out of lying. You're not going to grow out of cheating. You're not going to grow out of a bitter and angry heart we don't grow out of sin it has to be cut off and so we come to Jesus and we honestly admit what we are doing we lay it out now you may not want to do that because you think I'm going to get away with this I don't see any judgment. Well, two weeks ago, Houston did not see any hurricane coming. They didn't realize their city streets would be eight feet underwater and that 45 inches to 60 inches of rain would fall and utterly devastate their whole city. They had no clue. You don't have any clue about what's going to happen to you tomorrow. And so it's going to require a a coming to terms with the reality that God is in charge, not you. And you cannot afford to continue walking in your rebellion against Him because if you do, you're going to be cast out into utter darkness.
3: It's worth mentioning too that as long as you're out of Christ, God is not under any obligation to give you another day. We should be sent to hell as soon as we sin. So we're, we're in a grace period right now where we have time. You know, just like in Houston, there was a short amount of time where they could have evacuated. As long as you're alive, this is the time when you can evacuate by going to Christ.
2: And the evacuation path is very clear repent
3: and give everything to Jesus
2: now we're committed on this radio broadcast to constantly calling you to repent and this fall we're going to begin revival meetings here in Washington and you'll be welcome to come but the Holy Spirit has to be allowed to do that work of conviction in your heart. And you must make a decision that you will be converted. That is, you will be changed and made into a new man or a new woman. You must be tired of your drinking and drugging. You must recognize that your wicked life will destroy you and is even now destroying your life. You can't be happy and peaceful and satisfied feasting on sin. It by its very nature brings destruction and misery. Now you may be able to drug your way out of some of the misery, But you have to wake up sometime, and then you face the reality, you're in trouble. And if the judgment of God comes upon you before that, you're in a great deal more trouble. So, very plainly, on this radio broadcast, we're going to present the Word of God, We're going to call you to repent of all sin now and to leave it now. And we're going to call upon you to surrender to Jesus Christ and be born from above, to be made into supernaturally by the power of God, be made into a new person. Now, is that inconvenient for you? Probably. It's going to require a change in habit, a change in the way you use your time, a change in the way you use your money, it's going to require a significant change in your life. You must escape the flood because it's coming upon you. And then fourth, we're going to call you to go to work For Jesus Christ because when you are born from above you are no longer your own person you belong to Jesus Christ and the sign that you know that you belong to Jesus Christ is that you begin to do what he calls you to do and the first thing he's going to call you to do is share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can be set free now from your sin that you do not have to remain in darkness Now, you have to decide what you're going to do with this. We're going to be faithful in presenting it. And if you were at the National Prayer Chapel worship service last Sunday, it was a time of intense prayer for sinners. It was a confrontation with sin. You see, the church is not about a pleasant, inspirational time to comfort you as you walk in your wickedness. And if you've been going to church for years, and yet when I ask you how many people have you won to Jesus this year, and you say nobody, can I tell you? You're in very serious trouble with Jesus. Now, Jesus does not tell us to wait. Not on soul winning. Because while we're waiting, people are drifting into hell. Some of us have just become very used to the thudding of bodies as they drop into hell. I can't be used to that anymore. There is a work of witness and calling, serving Jesus Christ.
3: So just to be very clear what we're saying When Jesus gave the Great Commission, which we can read at the end of Mark, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he said to make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that Jesus had commanded them. And so what we're saying is that is the duty of every single Christian. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So that's not just the job of your pastor or the job of the evangelists. This is the job of every single Christian. And if every Christian were to simply walk clean with Jesus and share the gospel with their friends and their family and their neighbors, everyone would hear the gospel.
2: And the difficulty in doing that is that we've looked upon everyone as in the process of growing and in the process of being saved, and that's a lie.
3: And that totally blocks us from feeling real agony of soul for them.
2: Because until you see that a person is truly lost, you'll have no soul agony for them. And you'll feel no responsibility to share with them your journey. Because if you have no journey, if you have no testimony, I mean, we used to have testimony services in the church where people would come and they'd say this is what Jesus has done for me. And this is what I've done in sharing the gospel. And look, here's a person who's come today because I've shared with them the gospel, and then they have a testimony. No, our churches have become dead and dry and formal, hidebound. Because we're not winning the lost. It's a total inner focus. That has to change. Now, I want to take us, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for the drink from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. God is not pleased with most people in the American church. He's angry, as a matter of fact. His wrath is coming upon this nation because of the deadness and the wickedness in the church. Our bodies are going to be scattered. We're going to die if we don't change this. It says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Well, what evil thing could they set their heart on? They were out in the desert. Well, they were idolaters. They put other things ahead of their service to the Almighty God. They put their food ahead. They wanted chicken, quail. They didn't like the manna. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted water when they wanted water. They wanted what they wanted. That was their greatest desire. The Lord is warning us that if we are going for what we want to please our flesh our bodies will be scattered in the desert and we will die. The judgment of God will be upon us. He says we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and they were killed by the destroying angel. Don't grumble. Lift up your hands in praise to Jesus. But if you're filled with idolatry, you can't do that. If you're filled with self-interest, you cannot do that. The Lord is warning us, don't be half converted. Understand what we're dealing with. Now, I recognize that some of you listening to this broadcast are not church people. In fact, you're not even Christians. You're trying to learn something about the gospel of Jesus. Well, please hear me. Jesus loves you. The scriptures are very plain about that. You need to hear the plain word of God. But then you must repent for all of your sin. There is only one way, and that is through the name of Jesus Christ. He alone is the way. And there is only one avenue of escape. And that is by being born from above and becoming a new creature in him and serving him. So today, whether you are a person sold out to Jesus, walking righteous, whether you are half converted, walking in the lust of your sin, whatever that sin is, or if you are not converted at all, You are a pagan. For all three, there is only one place of safety. His name is Jesus. And we must come to real terms that these things happen to the children of Israel as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There is no excuse for sin. There is no excuse for sin. There's no excuse for pride or arrogance. I woke up this morning and my heart was terrified and I began to say to the Lord Lord I can't do this it's too big people aren't going to listen and he just very quietly said to me that's right you can't do it but I can do it and I will do it so We've come because we want revival. We want a clear distinction between those who are totally sold out to Jesus and will walk righteous and turn the world aside. We want a clear distinction between those who are true Christians and those who are still walking in their sin and pretending that they're Christian. You see, you can't be a Christian and walk in sin. We want a clear distinction. The scriptures are very clear about this. Let me go to one more passage of scripture very quickly, and then we're going to go to some questions that we want to answer for you about revival. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. In other words, after you've heard this broadcast, if you continue walking in your rebellion against Jesus... There is no blood of Jesus available to you. There is no sacrifice left for you. That's what Paul is writing in the book of Hebrews. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Please hear me. If you're letting your temper get the best of you, and you're wallowing in your sin, you're walking in fornication, you're walking in pride and arrogance, hardness of heart, you're walking in self-righteousness, there is no blood sacrifice of Jesus available to you. You have only to expect judgment and raging fire that will destroy you. That's pretty sobering to me.
3: It's very sobering.
2: But it's real. If you did not take the opportunity to escape out of Houston, you are now in a desperate place of hurt. Because now it's too late. You can't get out. You've got to weather the storm. The storm that's coming on sinners cannot be weathered. It will destroy you. So out of the love of my heart and the agony of my soul, I say to you, repent of all sin. Get right with Jesus. Stop the drinking, stop the drugging, stop the fornication, stop the marital affair. Stop the anger and the bitterness. Confess and repent before Jesus and be born from above and made into a new creature and go to work for Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of accepting Jesus and then going on with your life with a little add-on of pleasantness.
3: So to be very clear, what we're talking about is to recognize that if you are in sin, you're an enemy of God. And that your whole influence, your whole moral example on everybody you know, if everyone were to follow your example, they too would be under the wrath of God. So if you have to recognize that everything that you're doing while you're in sin is to destroy God's kingdom. And so the call in Christ is to return to God and to offer yourself upon his mercy. If you think about it, if there were a war and someone defected from the army and then they wanted to come back, they should be subject to some kind of discipline or punishment. But the mercy that we have in Christ when we come back to God is that he doesn't inflict that punishment on us. But he's so gracious and kind that he'll even change us and employ us in his service. So we can go from being a wretched, rebellious enemy of God and come to Christ and be totally changed to now a loving servant of God who is now promoting the kingdom. So that's what we're calling for, and that's why there's such a clear distinction in Scripture. And so to pretend like that distinction isn't there is really just to be dishonest, because the distinction is there and God does see it.
2: So if you're walking in cynicism and rebellion, you're in grave danger. If you're walking in pride and arrogance, you're in grave danger if you're walking in sexual uncleanness, you're in grave danger. I want to be very plain with you. Alexandra is my fiance. Are we sleeping together?
3: Absolutely not.
2: Absolutely no. We are walking totally clean before Jesus, above reproach, we're not going to shame the name of Jesus because we love him and we serve him God brought us together we're gonna walk it out straight and clean we're calling you to do the same walk clean before God don't turn to sin walk clean and we invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel if you want to get clean Don't come as a casual observer. Come if you've got to get rid of your sin and get clean before God and be converted. We'll pray for you. We will not entertain you. We will not accept sin in your life. Because God won't accept it. We'll call you to be born from above and transformed and changed. Some of you were, but you've backslidden. It's time to get right with God. So I have a question about revival. Alexandria, is the Lord going to forget all about the backsliding in the church and the sin in the church and simply sweep the whole church into glory at a moment?
3: No, he is not. He's calling them to repent and get back the glory they've lost. So when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit descended upon his church. When the Holy Spirit, when Jesus descends again, his church will ascend, prepared as a bride to meet the bridegroom. The cloud of glory that attended his ascension is to rest upon our churches His bride will never be more ready for the rapture than when she is enraptured by His Spirit in her first love.
2: Now please hear very clearly what we're saying. Because you're a part of a church does not mean you are saved. The Lord is not going to sweep His backsliding church into heaven. He's just not going to do it. He is looking for a bride that is pure and clean, without spot or wrinkle. And he's going to make that happen by the word, by the scripture, by the Holy Spirit. But we have to be willing to respond and say yes. Yes, yes.
3: And this raises the question, when we say that we want revival, do we really mean it?
2: Well, there are lots of reasons why people talk about why they want revival now. Some people say that it's, according to prophecy, the last day. The days of apostasy, the days of falling away from the faith, like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I tell you what, they're missing the whole point of the gospel. The book of Revelation is... The final prophecy, the priority of the book of Revelation is for God's people to get right, to stop postponing repentance. God is speaking as loudly as he can. His trumpet is blowing. Houston's flood is the blowing of God's trumpet to warn America to repent. God, through history, has always used natural disasters, drought in one area, flooding in another. He has always used natural disasters, famine, disease, pestilence, to say, repent. So, there are many reasons for not wanting a revival, because... We like it like it is. The question is, do we really want revival? I do. Do you? And are you willing to do whatever you have to do to avoid the devil's tricks, his doubts, his delay tactics? The devil hates revival. It's his number one enemy. So what do you think? Are you willing to pay the price for revival?
3: Or do you see revival as just an add-on or something that would be nice?
2: And? Let's be clear about what we mean by revival.
3: This raises a number of questions. So what are we looking for when we talk about revival? How do we expect it to come? Where is it supposed to come from? When? So we know that revival means to come back to life. So it implies something was already alive and then it died. And now it's coming back to life. So the New Testament is not vague or general about this. They're call the New Testament calls for revival now. So it's not some kind of nebulous future event.
2: Wait wait a minute. Revival then should be the constant norm of the church.
3: Yes. And that's what we see in, for example, in India. So I- Yes,
2: yeah, so revival is returning to obedience to God and living in that obedience.
3: Yes. I had a friend in India, well she moved here from India, her name's Sharon, she's a Christian. And she said that the church in India, they met three nights a week, the whole church, to pray and fast and cry out to God to save souls in India. And then every other Sunday, about half of the entire church would get together and then go to a village that had not been reached before. And they would go house to house and speak to each person, they would preach. Sometimes the the people preaching would get beaten and be in bed for a month because they were beaten so badly. But God answered them. And so really the whole church's life comes out of that reaching out for souls. So we can't be Christians and then just contain what we have and think that we're going to have life in that. But our life is really only coming as we... You know, Jesus said that except a grain of corn fall to the ground and die, it cannot bear any fruit. And so we die to sin once and we're done with sin. And then at that point, we now lay down our life for the lost. And we are willing to die just like Jesus died. And then that's where the revival life comes in to us as we reach out.
2: You know, I've seen so many churches where a year will go by and not one new sinner will be brought to Jesus. I've watched as sinners are totally ignored. Church growth happens most often by transfer of membership from one church to another. I don't want that kind of church growth. I want church growth with sinners coming to Jesus and repenting and getting right with God. That's not going to happen without a church praying that God will give them souls. We have to have Jesus involved in bringing the sinner to the church. That's why we've been earnestly praying for you. For those of you who are walking in known sin, comfortable in your religion. And we're asking Jesus, make you uncomfortable. Draw your heart cause you to come to the prayer chapel and get right with God. Now, I say prayer chapel because I don't know of many churches you can go to and get right with Jesus. We want you right with the Lord, and we want you employed in the work of the kingdom of God. So the question, how are we going to take the cities? How do we take Washington, D.C.? Well, how did Paul do it? He prayed. He modeled the New Testament church. The plan is awakening people to their true condition before God and calling them to repent. This has always been God's way. Every great revival, this is what has happened. People have become concerned about repentance. They've started to pray and cry out to God. They've begun to recognize the lostness of the people. Their hearts have been broken for their loved ones, for their friends, because they see they're lost. And that agony of heart begins to move in them. The New Testament model for taking a city for God is on your knees with other Christians. Two or three crying out to God. And Jesus begins to do his work, and he begins to bring the sinners. That's what we're asking for at the prayer chapel. And that's why I was saying, if you're listening today and you are sold out for Jesus, then we ask, please, would you consider coming on mission with the National Prayer Chapel to pray with us for the lost? And if you're lost or pagan, would you come to the prayer chapel and get right with God and join us in a whole new life crying out to God for revival. So when's this going to happen? Well, not by might and not by power but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah 4.6 It starts now. It starts now as we pray. And we're praying, we're constantly praying for sinners, for you, to give up your wickedness and come. We're praying for people to come and join us as intercessors. We're praying for God to send us musicians. We need someone who knows how to lead praise and worship music and has the talent and ability to do that. We're asking for God to send workers and sinners who want to get right with Jesus. If you're one of those, we invite you to come. Now, very quickly, thank you for being a part of this broadcast today. If we're going to be able to continue on the radio with this ministry, we're 1,000 $460 $460 short of August, being able to pay the bill. I don't want to do days of offertory, but I may have to. I very much want to continue being able to speak with you like this and to call you to Jesus. But it costs money with WEVA. The bill this month is basically $4,000. So 1460 short, Would you let me know if you can help cover that cost? I know some of you could cover the whole amount, and we could continue tomorrow teaching. Otherwise, we're going to have to do offertory. So please, would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can donate there also. Or call immediately this phone number, 877-534-0780, and tell Brother Kevin this is the amount I want to help cover this bill. My brother and sister, I love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.